Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, and that is Gavin. Gavin, how's it going? I'm doing pretty swell, Mike, on this fine evening. How are you? I am outstanding. I am uh, I am excited that we have finally gotten this project off the ground. Uh, just a, we, a we very... talked about this for, for how many months? <laughs> I th- was it August, I think, that uh, the formal idea At was least. conceived? But uh, but I mean, we've been uh, as a, as friends, we've all been pushing you to uh, to start a podcast to tell your stories for quite a while. Um, and I think the the official genesis of this idea was you posted something on Facebook that I just thought was uh, interesting, and so I posted as a comment, "This would be great. You would be a great podcast host," or something to that effect. And uh, that yeah. has basically, over the course of what is this now, five months, uh, led us here. Yeah, so that was um, back in like late July, and I, I remember the specific photo it was me posting a, uh, a photo oh, of a snake that I found out out in the field, <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, some days are fun in the field, some days you almost get bit by a rattlesnake and die, you know. <laughs> there's there's really no in between, something something to that effect, and uh, you you like you said you commented and said you know you should really make a podcast and. Uh, you know, for all of our listeners who are not, you know, friends with Mike or I personally. Yes, the the thousands of people that don't know who we are that I'm sure are listening to episode one of this podcast. <laughs> hey, hey, there might be people who come back and watch it. I, I am looking forward to the um, day when uh, when that yeah, happens. Me too. Um, but yeah, I am. I'm in a master's program studying paleontology, hence the uh, name of the podcast is that I frequently just talk about all sorts of really cool, interesting things uh, about past life because that's sort of what I do. Um, and I guess people kind of find that interesting. So. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely find it interesting. And I'm glad you said that. Uh, you said it's paleontology, right? Yes. It's because I always would get it confused whether you were doing like ecology or paleontology or geology or archaeology. So paleontology is the official uh, is the official. Uh, I was going to say job title, but what you're studying. Yeah. So paleontology is this weird mix of uh, geology and biology. So paleontology in general, I'll, I'll say geology in general, is one of the most interdisciplinary sciences because you can't really understand how rocks work because, you know, life changes the whole chemistry of the planet. And because of that, you need to understand how it chemically affects the rocks. So in order to understand the rocks, you need to understand chemistry and physics and biology. And so it's paleontology is this weird love child between geology and your normal, what most people think of as biology. Um, I remember back around high school when I sort of figured out when or that this is what I was going to do. Um, a bunch of my friends were like, so you're going to be like Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> and uh, no. So that's, that is archaeology, which is really also really interesting, but that's only, yeah, what's the difference? only human things um, or human adjacent things. So archaeologists study, you know, past cultures, um, past civilizations, you know, things like they, they really only get into different uh, organisms, you know, animals, plants, to the extent that they affected people. So, like, the domestication of dogs was, you know, largely figured out by uh, archaeologists, anthropologists-type people. So it sounds as though, like, 
it sounds as though like archaeology you could almost put it as like a subset of paleontology where paleontology is kind of like a catch-all for you know for everything and archaeology is just a catch-all you know for everything from the past as it relates to humans is that is that a, a fair characterization of you know kind of the distinction uh no that's a really good way to anger both a paleontologist and an archaeologist at the same time. yes wonderful wow less than five minutes in and we've already angered all right tell me how i'm wrong so paleontology very very broadly is the study of past life by and large that excludes everything human you know, you get into a little paleoanthropology, mm-hmm. which is human ancestors, um, you know, different, um, you know, spe- species like uh, Australopithecus, which is one that I feel like most people may have at least heard, even if they don't really know what it is. Um, That'd be me. So that's basically, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm not all that up on my human taxonomy, um, which is the study of how different <laughs> things are related. Um but I believe Australopithecus is the genus that, like, the, the genus Homo, you know, like Homo sapiens evolved from. Right. So paleoanthropology is much more similar to, like, uh, general paleontology than archaeology is. Archaeology is more cultures and interhuman interactions as opposed to, you know, this you know, old horse, which are mostly what I studied, um, the, the sort of biomechanics of it, you know, so I see. So archaeology being like more uniquely human in a way that you couldn't study, uh, you couldn't study that kind of, you know, culture and the way humans interact, the way you, you, you would study the way, you know, fish or dinosaurs or, you know, whatever other organisms interact There's something uniquely American about archaeology. Just American. What was, did I say American? I meant uniquely human. Yes. <laughs> I did not mean uniquely American. Uniquely human about archaeology. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so generally with, with, the, with paleontology, it's, it's really hard to get, especially with animals that we don't really have good comparisons with today. Because mm-hmm. it's like older horses, you generally can kind of assume they act like horses. Right. But with things like dinosaurs, it is so incredibly hard to get any kind of behavioral, you know, um, interpretations from anything because behavior doesn't turn into rock like bones do. Right. And because there's no, there's no real analog to today, you know, at least not, not a perfect, is that, you know, is that a fair characterization of dinosaurs? We don't have a, uh, you know, a perfect one-to-one. Absolutely. There is nothing today that is like a dinosaur. Um, there are things that so do, when people say ostriches are like dinosaurs, so they're you know they're a little overboard. I'll also clear this up very early. So birds are <laughs> birds are dinosaurs. They're not like it. All birds? Yes. Really? Yep. So once, go on. Once you become something else, you don't stop being what your ancestors were. Think of, I like to compare it to like last names. So my mom, you know, her maiden name is different than my last name. That doesn't mean I'm no longer part of that family. Yeah. So like, so birds have, um, is it like they have a common ancestor or like there was one particular dinosaur that didn't die out, but was able to just continue 
mating until we have, you know, all the different bird species we have today. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? So um, that would be sort of how it would work if uh, birds came around when the rest of the, the dinosaurs disappeared. But so dinosaurs, you know, besides birds, uh, died out about 66 million years ago. But birds themselves start showing up around 180 million years ago. So, oh, uh, yeah. And granted, they would look not much like the birds that we have today. They would still have tails and teeth and probably still a couple fingers. Um, but they sort of branched off from what most people, I mean, thanks to Jurassic Park, people know them as raptors, which is just a colloquial term. That's not at all an official term. Um, <laughs> but so they branched off from that same group. Um and then just started doing something different. Uh, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, the, the world was a lot warmer and, you know, sort of open grassland type environments didn't even exist at the time because uh, especially when birds first evolved, grass did not exist. Um, so there was lots of, lots of trees everywhere. So they started sort of, you know, just flying between trees, you know, catching bugs, doing that kind of thing. Um, and then when the rest of the dinosaurs went extinct about 66 million years ago, like I said, uh, the, there was a really big, like anything basically over about 50 or 60 pounds went extinct. And so be, because birds have to be so light in order to fly, you know, their ancestors made it across that extinction. So that's why the only dinosaurs that we have left are birds. I don't want to get too bogged down. Was there a particular reason why it was, you know, anything over, you know, roughly 50 pounds that died out at that time? Bigger things need more food. Ah, uh, okay. And there was just less of it. Right. So contrary to what a lot of people think, and I know this is, this is not the actual content of the, of the video or the, the video, the, uh, yeah. So we, the, we the will episode. really, really quick. We will finish up. We'll finish up this conversation. And then episode one here, we didn't want to get too bogged down into, um, and in any individual things, which I don't think we have been, no, um, no. uh, but we are going to, yeah, I think we're going to, um, spend today talking about kind of, um, you know, the paleontology program that Gavin is in and the different people that he's run into, um, kind of over the course of uh, his studies up to this point, just to give us a sense of, you know, his background. Yeah, we can we can wrap up this really quick, though. So the reason why most larger things didn't uh, make it is because contrary to what a lot of people think, it's really not set in stone that like the meteor impact is what killed the dinosaurs. That's not at I, all. I thought that that had been established for like, I thought that was like, no, so no. Stop it, it. It definitely happened. Like nobody's arguing that it happened, but there's the biggest thing with paleontology. Did, no one's arguing that it didn't happen. Right. The The okay. biggest thing with paleontology is that the farther back you go in time, the worse the fossils get. You know, granted 66 million years is not all that long ago, grand scheme of things, but the only area that we have fossils from, from like right before that, is around where I currently live in, you know, Western North America, areas like South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. That is the only place in the world that we have rocks and fossils from right before the meteor hit. So for all we know, 
dinosaurs could have been extinct everywhere else in the world. Really? Except in Western North America. Um, I don't think that's the case, but we just don't have the information to say. And there were also some other things going on in the world. There were some big volcanic eruptions at the time. Um, so obviously the meteor impact didn't help, but whether that was the sole thing that, you know, was the nail in the coffin, there's not really a, a way to confidently say that, which is also a very common theme in paleontology. It's like a lot of times we just don't have the best information to make these really strong, conclusive claims. Yeah. I, I don't know is a correct answer in paleontology is what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Perfect. So I don't, I, I think we can sense a, uh, a blockbuster episode here. Uh, the, the dinosaurs <laughs> weren't killed by the meteor, which is going to blow my mind, but um, we can, uh, we can say that as a teaser for the future. Um, and yeah, uh, I am looking forward to the different, the different kinds of episodes, because as you and I have discussed, there's going to be kind of a, uh, a, I don't want to say a scattershot approach, but we've got a couple different ideas for categories of episodes that uh, that I think might work as we go on. And I'm looking forward to kind of what that's going to entail. And I think that we can uh, kind of move from, you know, from that discussion of paleontology itself and what we do and don't know or what you do and don't know as a field. I don't want to include myself in this, uh, but I think we can talk a little <laughs> I think we can talk a little bit about um, kind of your story uh, and the people you've met and everything. So, you know, from there, how did, you know, how did you first get into uh, paleontology? Was there, um, was there anything in particular that you, uh, any books you read or anything that you saw on the internet or people that you met that first kind of kicked off, you know, your journey into this field? So this is going to sound incredibly basic, um, <laughs> but as a, as a child of the nineties, as you can imagine, Jurassic Park was very popular. <laughs> we are yeah. we are what fifteen minutes into a uh, into our first episode of a podcast, and we have our Jurassic Park reference. <laughs> so okay, oh goodness, I will... yes, yes. Okay, for reasons I'll get into more later. <laughs> I've since come to like. I love the movie. I really hate what it has done to paleontology. That can probably be an entire episode in and of itself. And I, I am looking forward to that episode. Yeah. How old were you when you first saw Jurassic Park? Oh, geez. Um, I would say probably maybe like eight. Because it's okay. technically, it, it is technically a horror movie. Really? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I remember that. Like, I remember that sort of surprising me. Um, when I watched it later, I just randomly saw it on TV and like clicked info on the remote and it's listed under like sci-fi horror. And I'm like, I, I guess. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not wrong, but it wouldn't be, wouldn't be what I'd first put in, but okay. So you're, so you're eight yeah. years old when you first see, uh, when you first see Jurassic Park and then, you know, what comes next? Are you picking out books? Um, is it, yeah, is, so are you like dinosaur I, focused? Um, I feel like as paleontologists, we all sort of start out dinosaur focused, um, <laughs> especially as kids, I assume, especially. Yes. And so a lot of it comes from you being a kid. Dinosaurs are so cool because there's nothing at all. Like we said, nothing at all like them around today. Whereas there are lots of mammals that have come around since dinosaurs have been extinct, 
that are cooler, in my opinion, but are not nearly as popular because we have mammals around today. You know, most most people probably have a pet mammal right. in their house. <laughs> so it's something about the unfamiliarity with, with dinosaurs is, you think is part of what makes them so, so interesting, especially to, you know, especially to young kids. Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, again, that can, get, I can get more into that. We can do a specific Jurassic Park episode. We probably should. Absolutely. We, we should write that down. I don't have any paper near me, but someone should write that down. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, so after Jurassic Park, obviously I, especially once I discovered that uh, it was actually based off of a book. Uh, a lot of people still don't know that. So, Including me until five seconds ago. Yeah. So the movie came out in, I think, 93. And the book came out in, I think, 89 or 90. And, you know, before the book was even published, people were already reaching out to the author named Michael Crichton, who, who unfortunately uh, is, is no longer alive. Um, he's, he's someone who I do not wish was dead. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, before he even finished the book, there were studios reaching out to him to be like, hey, we want to turn this into a movie. Before he finished the book? Which is super cool. Before he even finished the book, because people, I don't know if like his publisher or whoever was like, this is one of the coolest ideas I've ever heard and sort of, you know, pitched it around to a couple different movie studios. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I, I read the book and then I ended up buying the book from our library in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Um, okay, so what really happened was uh, I let it be overdue for so long and it just kind of told them that I lost it and then just gave them money to buy another one. <laughs> this, this was pre-me having money. Oh, of course. Like, this was this was me at, like, 15. Mm -hmm. So um, so I was like, hey, Mom, I lost a library book. Can I have some money? <laughs> Which is... Which I straight up lied to my parents. If, if mom, mom and Dad, if you hear this... You know, almost a decade later. It was well, it was sorry. it was worth it. This uh, goes with the whole. You know, it's better to ask for you know forgiveness than permission. Your mom, your parents probably wouldn't have given you the money to actually oh, buy the book, but to pay an overdue library fine. Well, you know, or a lost book library fine. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. There's there's no way out of that one. That's that's still that is literally sitting on my bookshelf. <laughs> you right still have yes as we speak. Yes, you still have. You still Absolutely, have the book. Maybe we can. Uh, hopefully, we can get a a picture of that and post it somewhere. Because I, uh, I now I now I need to see this old <laughs> library. Does it still have like one of the cards in it that has every name that uh, that it signed it out? Uh, I I don't know. I've I've not read it in an, an okay. a little while. But uh, anyway, back back to back to right, the back to this. Story. So you um, so you you watch Jurassic Park and you you take the book out. You're 15. You have stolen a library book, um, but paid for, it, of course. Um, um, and I assume, you know, by this point you're 15, you're probably what a sophomore in high school or so. Yep. Okay. So you're probably starting to think about, you know, going to college, um, you know, and, and what you might want to study. So what does, what is that process like for somebody that, um, you know, knows he kind of likes dinosaurs. So, um, weirdly for a little bit in high school, like even like during senior year, I thought I wanted to be a physicist because uh, I don't know why. Like, I remember watching a bunch of shows on like Discovery Channel or Science Channel, something like that, and thinking like theoretical physics was super cool. And then I looked into it more and realized how much math that is. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably not for me. Theoretical um, physics was super cool. 
uh, in case anybody hasn't figured this out yet, Gavin was a real ladies' man in uh, in high school, going to lots of parties. Oh, uh, absolutely. Right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, and then I don't know. I think I just after I figured out that th- physics probably wasn't for me, then I was like, you know, Jurassic Park was pretty cool, and I always liked the beginning. You know, um, the part where they're actually out digging up the 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 skeleton, right. which there's also it's one of the more accurate scenes in the movie, but also obviously there's a lot of inaccuracies. We'll save that for the Jurassic Park episode, but that was the part that captured my imagination mm-hmm. more than watching a T-Rex destroy a car as cool <laughs> as that is. Um, so I actually ended up going to community college for two mm-hmm. years first. Um, and also just a quick PSA. Don't ever let anybody tell you that going to community college is bad. I got an associate's degree uh, w- without taking out any loans. And basically anywhere you go, your first two years are going to be the same anywhere anyway, more or less. So, and like if something really bad life-wise happened while I was uh, working on my four-year degree, I at least had an associate's degree at the end of the day to fall back. I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm assuming this is going to be a, uh, a recurring theme over the course of our podcast. But the uh, the belief in public low-cost education is, uh, is, I think, something that you and I um, absolutely both you know, we're both dependent on growing up to get where we are in life now and uh um and you know greatly encourage everybody else you know at all you know at all levels of life if you are looking to do something you know being able to go to school um and not you know and not go into debt hundreds of thousands of dollars just because you think it's the right thing to do i think it's going to be a kind of a recurring thing just how important public education is uh, and so I'm, I'm glad you brought Absolutely. that up. All, all the schools that I've, all the schools that I've been to, you know, my community college, my four-year school, and now my graduate school are all public, you know, state right. institutions. So wonderful. So you, you go to community college for two years and you get that associate's degree. What's the associate's degree in? Is it just a general studies degree? Is it anything specialized? So when most people think of like a college major, they think, you know, for in my case would be like biology, geology. Um, community colleges don't really right. have that for some mm-hmm. things they do. Um, but my associate's degree is very long winded. It is, uh, I am an associate of science. Good so far. Uh, in math and science with a science concentration. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's actually liberal arts and sciences, <laughs> math and science. Science. It seems like a long way of saying you do some science stuff, but okay. I, I can get behind that. So you have exactly. your two-year degree. Um, um, and I, I loved my time at community college too. Abs- oh, absolutely. Um, I remember talking to you then. And you, you really seemed to enjoy what you did there. Uh, and then you moved on to, uh, to a four-year school. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of where for you the rubber met the road in terms of you, know, you really digging in and saying, you know, not only you know, this is what I want to do, but I know exactly what I want to do, and I'm uh, I'm really happy, you know, with the path that I'm on. Is that about where you know where things really started to click, and you were you know, you were sure of what you wanted? Pretty much. Um, so I will say, even when I got to my graduate school, so paleontology seems like a pretty specific field, but even within paleontology, there is dozens and dozens of more specific fields. You know, there's paleoecology, right. paleoclimatology. Um, you know, even just the difference between studying fossil plants versus fossil animals versus fossil bacteria from like, you know, a billion and a half, two billion, three billion years ago. Um, 
that's still paleontology, but very different from what I do. <laughs> Fossil bacteria. Absolutely. Wow. Um, I mean, the the for the majority of Earth's history, there were only bacteria living. Right. So, you know, complex life has really only been around for at the maximum 600 million years or so. Most people push that only to like 570-ish, but at maximum 600, the planet's four. I was going to make an Earth is 6,000 years old joke, but <laughs> I decided not yeah, to. Yeah, the, the planet's 4.6 billion years old. You know, bacteria have been around for at least roughly 3 billion of it. So... Little little side mm-hmm. tangent there. Anyway, but so I didn't even know fully what I wanted to do within paleontology until I got here to graduate school. But when I got to my four year school, okay, um, I was just wanted to do paleontology. wasn't sure what or how, um, because at community college it's a good way to get your foot in the door for you know cheap, like we said, but also not a cheap experience. Like I still had a great experience and honestly was better prepared for my main upper level classes than some of my classmates were to be honest uh, at my four-year school who like who really? had been there the whole time okay. and like that could just be me being a nerd like we talked about um and i i wouldn't doubt but, that like I, would... I genuinely think well yeah <laughs> I, well but I, I mean that seriously though like I, I wouldn't doubt that you you would be better prepared than um you know your kind of average person going into something because this is you know you have lived and breathed this stuff for you know at this point you know three quarters of your life well, so when I, when I got to my four-year school, I started as a geology major. And no matter how much you think earth science in high school, like how much you learn there, you do learn a lot. And I have a lot of good friends who are earth science teachers, not at all trying to downplay the really awesome work that they do. But Here like, comes the butt. You, well, be just, just because as with every concept, you know, what you learn in high school is really only like a quarter of the truth. <laughs> so it's like my my grad school advisor uh, says really regularly, you know, as you get more education, it's basically unteaching you the things that you were taught earlier. That's too simple or an oversimplification. Right. Um, for example, this is another thing that we could go into very long, de- you know, very depth. Very. That's not English. We could go very <laughs> in-depth about. Um, this is our first podcast is, episode. The words don't come out perfect every time. Yeah. Um, but something I could go very in-depth about is reptiles. Because, frankly, the group reptiles is nonsense and nobody uses it anymore in, in real science. Again, really? we can go into that later. Yes, we can go, we can go into that later. All right, write that down but, along with the Jurassic Park episode and the How the Dinosaurs Went Extinct episode because we're already coming up with more things I want to know more about. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a series of unteaching you things that were an oversimplification of, you know, getting your feet wet when you were younger slash, you know, at the beginning of your career. Right. But yeah, so when I got to uh, my, my four-year school, I had always sort of thought of myself more as a biology person. I took more biology classes at community college than I did geology classes. But most people told me to, to be a paleontologist, you start doing geology. Because um, that's not as true these days, but especially, you know, 10 years ago, or at least when my advisors and stuff were in school, um, paleontology was at least mostly geology. Because you can't really understand the animals 
without understanding what the rock tells you about the environment that those animals lived in. You've got to get that background knowledge. You've got to get level zero first before you can move on exactly. from there. So that's why I went in as a geology major. I ended up adding on a biology major as well. So I have a dual bachelor's of science in biology and geology. Um, but yeah, so I started doing undergraduate research, which if you're in any of our multitude of listeners, um, are in... Uh, <laughs> yes, all of our listeners. <laughs> are in like a STEM field in undergrad in in a bachelor's program right now do research do undergraduate research doesn't matter what it is if you want to go on can you give me an example okay i'll tell you about the really bad project that i was on that i hated um but taught me some really valuable give give us the two sentence give us the two sentence example yeah my first research project that i did in undergrad was my my advisor um was one of like a world renowned for uh knowing lots of things about clams yeah clams like not like like the clams any like you or i would just recognize immediately nothing special um they were kind of weird uh like clams in general are fairly boring but for for being clams these were really interesting in that their shells were only about two hairs thick or so really yeah Mm, super weird um so he's world renowned for being like the guy for this group of clams. Um, so obviously, because that's what he knows, my first project was on clams. And again, for being clams, they were really cool. Um, but like as something turns into a fossil, the so so for example, clams and other things that make shells, you know, snails, um, they make their shells out of a mineral called... Um, Wow, I'm so blanking. What a good geology person. Um, basically, it's it's um, calcium carbonate. There's a couple different forms of it. Um, uh, aragonite is the form that they use when they're alive. Um, and it has like a particular crystal structure at like the microscopic level or like the right. atomic level. Okay. When it turns into a fossil, um, that structure changes a little bit. Because aragonite, the mineral, is not all that stable at like normal conditions, but just by changing some of the atomic structure, it turns into the mineral calcite, which I think most people are have at least heard of. Right. Um, it's the, it's the I, stuff I've that heard like of it. That's when, about it. It's the stuff that like when you, that clogs up your Keurig basically, um, <laughs> or your coffee maker, that's calcite. This is, this is the kind of breakdown for the common person I am looking forward to here on this show. It's the stuff <laughs> that clogs up your Keurig. Right. It's like when you get some water on your mirror and it leaves that crusty stuff, that's calcite. Um, Okay. So calcite's more stable. And so what we were looking for was any non-recrystallized shells because the preservation in these was really good and they seemed to be kind of unaltered, but you have to, in order to do that, you know, everyone kind of remembers making, like looking through a microscope in high school, you just take like the little dropper, put it on the slide and put the little cover slip on and you put it under the microscope and you're pretty much good. Right. That is not at all how it works in geology. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, so in order to make a, a slide to look at through a microscope in geology, what you have to do is cut whatever rock you're trying to look at on a diamond saw. It's literally just a saw blade. 
So like a imagine like a circular mm-hmm. saw, a table saw that right. doesn't have like the big like serrations in it. Okay. But maybe a quarter inch of the like outside of like the disc right. just has diamonds into the metal. And can I take a guess and say that's because diamonds are supposed to be like the hardest hardest substance in, in they, whatever? They are the hardest material that we know of. Really? And so, okay. yes. At least natural material. I don't think they've made like a synthetic material that's harder than diamonds, but I don't know that for sure. Okay. But yeah, so, and also because it spins really fast, it gets really hot, especially when you're cutting rocks. So you have to have water like... Um, spraying onto it all the time to keep it cool so you have to hand cut this little rock on this wet saw and it it sounds dangerous it's really not it's it's very safe actually you preempted my next question yeah no it's really not dangerous Um, like unless you were to like trip and fall into it while it was spinning you're you're fine um but yeah so you cut it you cut into this little brick that will fit onto the slide and then you have to sand it down or, or like polish it down using like progressively finer metal grit to make it so it's completely flat so it'll glue to the slide better and you get a better look mm-hmm. at what you're trying to look at okay. to make one slide just just to this point because we're not we're about halfway done that takes um a couple hours um just doing the grit by itself takes a couple hours and then okay. you i assume this is um, just mind-numbing work Absolutely. Like I just threw in some headphones and, you know, spent a Saturday, but you (laughs) then leave them overnight on like a hot plate to get any water out of them. Then you have to mix some epoxy and then glue it to the slide. However, if your rock does not contain any of the mineral quartz, then you have to put some sand in uh, the outside of the epoxy because that shows you through like a complicated mineral reason. That's not important. Um, How much to cut off the brick once the epoxy sets because then i'm gonna trust you with all of that because it went a little over my head but i i trust you on all of that (laughs) um but yeah so at this point you have a brick of rock glued to a slide of glass with some sand and some of the glue so then you still have to cut off the rest of this brick and then polish it again to get it down to the thickness that you want if at any point something goes wrong Say the epoxy doesn't hold when you go to cut the brick. Say you polish it too much and take too much of the rock off. You have to do the whole thing over again. Oh, Jesus. So, um, I had five samples that I was supposed to do. Three of those five, I had to redo. And where are you in school at this for, point? For you are, reasons. are you like a junior, uh, this senior? Was, this was the spring of my first year at um, my four-year school. Okay, so this is your third, this is your third total year of college. Third total year. Yeah, I was in undergrad for five years total. Um, Yeah, so... And then all of this work basically amounted to nothing. We did not find what we were looking for. Um, We did a couple chemical analyses on the rocks because there were some weird things about the rocks themselves, but also didn't find anything. So, um, well over like a full-time week of work, you know, 40 hours... uh, you know, easily 40 hours over the course of a semester. Sure. Um, but like while you're doing other but things, still, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of, it's and a lot of time to put into something and get, and get nothing out of it. Like nothing. it's going to be kind of disheart- Literally disheartening nothing. to, you know, a young scientist trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to do. Exactly. 
Um, but it really did teach me a really important lesson in that, so, like, sometimes science sucks, you know. <laughs> and it also really taught me that, I think you know, it could be this episode title, Sometimes Science Sucks. <laughs> episode one, Sometimes Science Sucks. Like, it really does. Um, and sort of, you know, sort of a little fourth wall breaky. I'm in the middle of some sucky science right now in that um, I'm cramming to get a bunch of data collection for my master's thesis done um, before I uh, go away for the holidays. So, yeah, I have a couple <laughs> days to measure a couple hundred teeth. Um, yeah, I, I am looking so forward that, to recording I, I over the talk. holidays. Yeah, I can talk about a went. whole... Absolutely. I can, we can spend a whole, you know, episode on my, on my master's thesis if I'm feeling, you know, uh, arrogant that day. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that, that was the end of my first year at my four-year school. Really disheartened. Um, really did not even plan to continue doing uh, undergraduate research. I was going to tell my advisor, you know, I wasn't going to tell him last semester was horrible. Please don't make me do that again. I was going to respectfully just be like, I don't know. My schedule's pretty full. Cause I, I picked up the biology major starting that semester. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, like, so the fall of my second year there, my fourth year of undergrad total. Um, I was gonna be like, I'm, I'm too busy. I was also working uh, as a resident assistant at my college at the time. Very busy. Um, I was just gonna respectfully be like, I don't have time. But then he came to me and was like, I worked really hard on thinking of a good project. Cause I think he kind of knew that I hated it. <laughs> even though even though i didn't tell him i think he just kind of knew i'm sure it was pretty obvious to to anyone involved yeah. um so he was like yeah i spent a lot of time over this summer thinking uh, about a good project for you because he knew that i was interested in vertebrates you know animals with bones a backbone uh, as opposed to you know clams <laughs> um which which he will be the first one to tell you he was he's not that's not what he does at all. Even though he is a paleontologist, that's not what he does. Um, so he was had a really cool project idea that he spent time working on, which for him uh, is kind of saying something. Like, I, I love him <laughs> to death. He's a really great teacher. Um, but there are some students where you can tell that he just, like, doesn't like them, which, like, in college is, is very much a thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, for him to like put in effort, you know, outside of, you know, when we needed to, that really meant like a lot to me. Uh, and the project was really cool. I ended up getting that research published um, by the Geological Society of America. I presented a poster at a regional conference. So I'm technically a published author. Really? Um, because of that research, is which is me. super cool. I can technically uh, testify in court as an expert witness if need be. I, I don't know when that's going to come in handy, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Oh, it out. never will. It absolutely never will. Um, our, our friend Melissa actually told me that because her mom's a judge. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I, there's got to be some way that this is that this can be useful. What if somebody was like, like there was like a a museum theft or something, and you needed an expert witness on like what exactly it was that was stolen and how valuable and this that and the other thing is that that could work, right? I feel like they would just use someone from the museum then, like. <laughs> All right, so we need to get you a job at the museum. I'm I'm applying for one. I'm literally currently Ooh. in the application process of. Ooh, of don't don't give away too much. Don't give away here. too much in case it doesn't work out. But I am looking forward to hearing the. Good oh news well, about I mean this. that's also part of science. Um, 
a large part of professional science is applying for grants and then not getting them. Um, <laughs> like if you have a grant acceptance, like record of like 25%, you are a rock star. Really? Yes. And who's giving away these grants? Um, is it the government? Is it just rich people? Is it? Um, a, a good combination of stuff. A large part of it is um, the government. A large part of it is, you know, private uh, people, different organizations, like like I mentioned, the Geological Society of America, um, the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology. Um, sometimes it's even larger museums, such as the American Museum of Natural History in uh, New York City. A lot okay. of larger institutions like that have, like, they set aside money to pay people to do X thing. Or you can submit uh, an application to them proposing this, this is the cool research I want to do. Right. Here's the money I need. Here's how I'm going to spend that money. Can I have money, please? <laughs> and some larger institutions have that money and will give you that money. Um, but like I said, if you have an acceptance of 25%, you are like the grant writing god. Really? Know? Okay. So it's a lot of learning to live with failure. Absolutely. 100%. Um, for every like scientific paper that, get pub that gets published, um, maybe not as much these days. And that's, again, another whole topic that could be talked about is publication, public, like publishing science. Um, I, I have heard a little bit about this, some publishing bias, you know, bias towards things that only work out. Yes. Um, I do not remember the last time like a study was published that just like checked somebody else's results, which is a major part of science. That's part of the scientific method, isn't it? Exactly. Like, Science doesn't work if people aren't checking each other because Joe Schmo could make some crackpot thing saying, you know, for example, there's somebody in um, paleontology that I know that is not a, to be fair, I've never met him, um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm at least aware of him, but he's published things and talked a lot about uh, Triceratops, you know, probably arguably the most well-known dinosaur, probably after Velociraptor and T-Rex having like right. quills on its basically its butt butt quills yeah kinky yes there's to my knowledge the evidence that he cites is really really skeptical at best and at worst he's just making things up but science only works because other people are like well that doesn't make sense and then publish their own study saying why that doesn't make sense and putting forward their own thought for why Triceratops does not have quills on its butt. Or that say, oh, this doesn't make sense. Let's, you know, let's do the experiment. And, oh, wow, like, as it turns out, you know, this guy knew what he was talking about. But you need people to actually go through and and do that subsequent research. And exactly. nobody, I assume the credit for, uh, you know, doing things second or third, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get the headlines at that point. Absolutely. And again, we can, I can go into detail about all so those things, but let's, let's get back. To, I was just about to say, let's get back to you. Exactly. So you are now, you're now entering your fourth year, fourth year out of five of undergrad and your second year at a four year school and your advisor, you know, yep. and this, your advisor is somebody who you said, you know, there was a lot of students that he didn't like. And so it was probably mean something to you that he did kind of take you under his wing. This wasn't. Um, you know, there's something to be said for the good teacher that just, um, you know, goes the hardest they can for every kid. But also, you know, there's something to be said for the crotchety old man 
that you know does isn't going to put up with anyone's crap um but he's willing to put up Absolutely. with your crap and he's willing to kind of take you under his wing so entering your fourth year you know your advisor is kind of pulling you back in um and into at this point it's still the geology program correct Yep. So even though I was uh, starting that semester, I was a dual major. So I technically did have an advisor in the biology department as well. Um, but I don't think I ever actually even met with him. I had a class with him, but I don't even think that he knew I was his advisee, <laughs> um, which was fine because my own geology advisor was, you know, awesome, especially with like academic stuff. Like you need to do, you know, take this class by this semester in order to take this next class when you need to and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. He was excellent with that. Um, and it's not like I was doing research with the biology department. I was still doing it in the geology department. Um, so I really didn't need my biology advisor, but yeah, it really did mean a lot that he, uh, you know, stuck his neck out there for me and gave me a project about vertebrates, you know? Um, and just for reference, the reason why, um, you know, I wasn't really doing a vertebrate project before was because there's really om- almost no vertebrate fossils like in the Northeast. Really? Um, which, you know, is, is where, you know, we're from, where I went to my undergrad. And um, there's a couple like for ge- geological formations that have things like dinosaur footprints. But the most of the rocks are too old. Um, you know, they're... We, I spent a lot of time doing stuff in rocks that dated back to the Devonian, which uh, is roughly, you know, 380-ish million years ago to early 400 million years ago, I think, somewhere around there, um, which is really well known for not really having a lot of things swimming around. A lot of things were sort of crawling around, lots of um, things that look like clams but are not clams. There were lots of fish uh, as well, but they weren't all that common. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was lots of invertebrates, uh, and that's basically the case for the entire Northeast and like Northeast of North America, you're saying, correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it was really cool that he gave me a project. It, it was doing stuff with like, uh, this big computer database that just has a bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, this, this person that's working at some school, say in like Montana, published this paper with he found this type of fossil here had this information about it people just take that information from that published paper and put it onto this database so i was doing some stuff with that um okay which ended up being super cool um so i did research all of that i was gonna here. say so you the your your advisor you know kind of you know hit the nail on the head with hey i think you're gonna like this project absolutely and, and it worked out pretty well for mm-hmm. you yep and I, I ended up presenting that um at that conference like i said um that spring semester. So we're at the end of my fourth year. Um, okay. And then by that point, by the end of my fourth year, I was done taking geology classes with one exception. I had to take a field class in the summer of that year, which I, again, we'll talk about later. Field work is a very large part of geology. Um, but we can talk about that in a, in a different episode. Um, mm-hmm. So then going into my final year of undergrad, my fifth year, uh, I didn't do research just because I was like, you know, at this point I'm going to focus on applying to grad school. And, um, I didn't at all have a, like a, like re- relaxed senior year of undergrad. Like some, some <laughs> people do. Um, because technically, 
I was I had to take some junior level and some senior level classes in biology because I came into it at a weird time. So I had to sort of pack three years of a biology degree into two years. <laughs> really a year and a half. Um, so yeah, it was I was still very busy. So I ended up graduating um, and then applied to a couple graduate school programs. And applying to graduate school is very different than applying to, especially in the sciences, um, to applying to your normal four-year school in that you basically have to reach out to the person who's going to be your advisor before you even apply to the school or send anything to the school. So the, the way it works for sciences is you sort of look up what you want to work on, and then you find the people who are doing that. And so you apply to the school much less than you apply to work with that person. Okay. And so uh, I reached out to people at four different schools. How did you find these people? Were they, are they like, you know, are they communicators? Are they famous in your field? Are they, do they have cool YouTube video? Like how, like how do you find the people you want to work with in a field like this? So what I did was go to, because I knew I wanted to work specifically with vertebrate fossils. I went to the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology's website and they have a whole grad school section of uh, schools with reputable programs. Um, mm -hmm. So then I sort of poked through and sort of looked at what different people were doing at each school. And some schools I just kind of ruled out because I'm like, I don't want to be in that area okay. of the US. It's just like, you know, there are some places where I'm like, I don't really want to live there. Um, okay. So then I came down to, and the place we actually ended up, they actually ended up sending me an email, just like a regular blast email. That's like, hey, you know, we see you're finishing up your degree in geology. Have you checked out this school? Um, and I was like, as a matter of fact, I haven't, but I've heard of it. And so I actually checked them out and, you know, sure enough, that's where I am now. Um, yeah, so I applied to four schools. Three of them got back to me and I, I got in. One of them just straight up didn't get back to me, which was a little rude. Okay. Uh, Their loss. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still a little salty almost two years later. Would you like but... to name that school? So that way, uh, you know, everyone just kind of knows. What it was University name. of Michigan. Okay. University of Michigan. Is that yeah. the Spartans? Um, no, that's Michigan State. Uh, okay. Wolverines, I believe. How is it that you know more about sports than I do on this subject? I have no idea. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I applied to four schools, got into three of them. And then from there, um, it sort of just came down to a combination of location and money. So, in the sciences, by and large, you don't pay to go to grad school. Um, or at least you pay, but you also get paid. Um so the, the deal that I ended up getting was most of my tuition knocked off. Um, and then I also had a uh, teaching position, teaching a lab, um, where I got paid a stipend once a month. But it, the, the amount that I got paid per semester was more than what remained of my tuition. So it, it ended up being a net positive. And you could use that um, for things like living expenses, I assume? Yep, it was literally just a, a paycheck compared to one of my friends who is a um, in a master's program for speech-language pathology who doesn't have any kind of uh, like teaching position like that and still has to pay like basically like just two more years of your traditional undergrad. And once I learned that, <laughs> that uh, in science you get mm -hmm. paid, or at least it's Granted, it's, you don't get paid well at all, um, but it's enough to exist. Right, but at least it, it covers itself. Yes, it's, it's enough to right. exist. Um, so 
once I learned that, I was like, yeah, cool, science. <laughs> science is for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then I picked a program and uh, moved out. He was sort of middle of the road on money because one school was, the location was where I wanted to go, but they didn't really offer me any money. They offered turning my out-of-state tuition to in-state tuition. Which, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, right, thanks. I mean, I shouldn't say, I mean, that's still significant. That's still a significant amount of money, I suppose. It, it is, but they also didn't guarantee me. They did not guarantee me a teaching job. You made the right yeah. call. Um, and then the other school was the least of the three locations that I wanted to go to, but the most money. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take the middle ground for both, I guess. And I mean, mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> um, so so, <laughs> so that yeah. takes me to uh, about here. And so... When I, before I decided, I emailed a couple students that were working with whichever, you know, the various professors at the three different places and just sort of asked them, how is it working with this person? You know, what are they like? Um, You know, are they really old school? Are they, you know, really understanding? Are they really strict about, you know, deadlines and things? Um, And I'm really glad that I ended up where I am because my advisor is incredible. I, I love him. He's a little uncouth sometimes. Um, aren't we all? I have a yeah. question. What does the word uncouth mean? Not always, not always like politically correct. He's, he can be, he can be a little brash. Uh, not okay. in like a, okay. um, you know, it's not like he's, you know, saying the N word. He's absolutely not like, like a QAnon person or anything like that. Um, he just says some things that I'm right. He might say the quiet part loud sometimes. I think it's mostly just like he's, Granted, he's not like old. He's um, probably he's like mid to late forties, but he just grew up in a different time where saying a certain word was okay. Understood. But by and large, like you know, I had to do more field work uh, as part of my degree for my master's program this past summer, which was when I found that rattlesnake, you know, that we talked about like an hour ago at this point. That was the genesis for this whole thing starting. Yeah. Um, but like he he was working on a program or a, or a like. Uh, initiative, basically a, a grant application from the National Science Foundation um, about ways to make geologic field work more inclusive for um, different groups of people besides the typical burly white dude like myself who wears flannels and khakis all the time. That is your typical geologist. <laughs> However, that is not, you know, all that inclusive. For example, if you are somebody who happens to be disabled, like in a wheelchair, you can't really do field work as it is structured at most places now. And because of that, right. that is a that is a required part of your degree. So it's basically saying if you are in a wheelchair, wheelchair, you cannot be a geologist. Which obviously is not okay. So he was working on a grant proposal um, to sort of, you know, do some things to try and figure out ways to work around us. He also gave examples of like, if, if you are, for example, um, somebody who is trans, you're probably not all that likely or willing to want to spend a month out in rural Wyoming. (laughs) Historically, (laughs) historically not great. I can imagine a couple Um, of other States in the union that I wouldn't want to go if I were trans. Yes. So like, and because of that, you know, looking at you, Alabama. Yeah. Um, I mean, Alabama doesn't really have all that cool geology, but, and the reason why I bring up Wyoming specifically is that a lot of schools, even schools, um, like I know, for example, uh, I know somebody who did their geology undergrad at Cornell 
And uh, I think he did his field work out in Wyoming or Montana, that, that area. And so even schools that aren't in, in the area will go there because the geology in these areas is just incredible. And, you know, if, if you are part mm-hmm. of a marginalized community, you may be way less more willing to go and spend a month in these places than me as, you know, a six foot tall white dude with a beard that wears flannels all the time. And I think that's important from somebody who's, you know, clearly in some kind of a position of, you know, power and authority, like your advisor clearly is to, you know, to take those active steps and just say, you know, let's, let's look at who can't be a part of this because at the end of the day, you want as many people as possible to be a part of, you know, whatever your community is, you can have the brightest minds with you studying with you, you know, learning from them. Um, and the only way you're going to do this is if you are intentional about, you know, who doesn't get to be included and how you're going to fix that. And so, uh, you know, your professor might not be super politically correct sometimes, but it definitely seems like he's uh, he's got the the right kind of mindset as to, you know, how to go about making some larger structural changes to, you know, to Absolutely. that field. Um, and I guess that sort of more or less brings me to where I'm at now. You know, I've got one semester left, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. hopefully only one. Um, of my master's degree, I will be defending my master's thesis, which is a whole process in and of itself, where it's basically like you spend two years basically coming up with this, you know, anywhere from 30 to, I have one that I'm reading right now. That's like 400 pages. Um, granted that's really extreme for a master's thesis. That's more PhD stuff, but, um, a, a really long, uh, basically scientific paper that uh, you publish and you make a presentation on and you have a committee basically that sort of follows your research, make sure that you check all the boxes you need to check for the school, as well as making sure that you understand the rigors of science and are meeting the basic you know, necessities of scientific quality. And you basically make this presentation based on your research, you present it to them, and then they grill you and make sure you actually know what you're talking about. And that basically decides whether you get your master's degree or not. Do you want to give us a little preview as to what it is that uh, that you're studying or that your thesis is about? Horses. <laughs> I asked for a little preview like said, and that's exactly what we got. Well, I mean, at this point, we're over an hour into the episode, so... Yeah, so um, I I think that is a uh, kind of a good place to to begin wrapping up here. So this is uh, this is episode one, just to give everyone kind of the context of uh, you know context of what it is we're going to be doing here, and who Gavin as kind of our our resident expert, you know what his background is and how he wound up. Eh, I wouldn't is. go that far. Well, how far would you go? Because I'd go very far with you, Gavin. Oh, oh, indeed. <laughs> wait until after i actually have a master's degree before i would call myself an expert in anything in the context of this show between you and i i would call you the expert that's, okay, that's fair okay but i do think that's kind of a uh, a good place we can wrap up this episode and kind of moving uh moving into the future for those of you that are hearing this episode we definitely plan on uh, as you as you heard us mention several times in this episode to have um, episodes focused on specific things again the title of the podcast is i wish you were dead and that can take a lot of different forms. Um, and we plan on exploring quite a bit of them. 
uh, in the future. This was kind of laying the groundwork, and I'm really happy with uh, with what we did. Also, because we just recorded the podcast. Yeah. Again, we've been talking since late July, early August that we should do this, and here we are. Here we are, like early December. You know, finally getting <laughs> it done. At least that's when we're recording. Who knows when this will actually go out? But. Hopefully it should be pretty quick. You know, I still have to edit it because we had a, a couple of quick yeah. snafus. Um, I def- we, there's definitely going to be a couple of things. Hopefully we'll be able to add music sometime. I'm reaching out to a few artists to uh, to update the cover art. And so hopefully, um, you know, things end up going bigger and grander. But I definitely have this habit. Um, and uh, I don't know, Gavin, if you're anything like this, I was saying I really want to do this thing um, and thinking a lot about it and then never actually, you know, getting it done. And uh, 100%. Absolutely. And so the fact that we have uh, the fact that we have gotten one episode done gives me quite a lot of confidence that we are going to get many we're, more. Than we're one committed now because absolutely this this was the hard part. So uh, that's wonderful. I think we are good to wrap up with everything. Gavin, any last words for the audience? Any last piece of science? Maybe this can be a uh, our closing segment is uh, one piece of science advice that Gavin gives to the audience. Science advice. Huh? I, don't, I mean, if we want to end it with what we said our show title was going to be for episode one, which was Science Sucks, or it, Science it Sucks really, Sometimes. Sometimes science sucks. Um, however, those sucky times are also just as important. You know, negative results are just as important, if not sometimes more important, than big, broad, sweeping conclusions. Because those very rarely actually happen in science and so you know if if you see someone making a really big broad new claim in science chances are that's probably not all that well supported you need you need a lot of evidence you know extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence exactly and you know similar like i said to that you know triceratops butt quill thing (laughs) you know could that have been? I mean, maybe. But until you actually prove what you're talking about, you're just a crazy guy over in the corner yelling about butt quills. <laughs> butt quills. I, <laughs> I think we can leave it there uh, with butt quills. He's Gavin. I am Mike. This has been episode one of I Wish You Were Dead. Science sucks sometimes. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Mike. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited by Mike Bryson and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you. 